Welcome to Conversations with Sarah. I'm Sarah Redden of SRTT. Today, I'm joined by Letitia at Black Rose Coaching. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so you're here today because um, you've got quite a story to share with us. Would you like to introduce yourself and, and let the people listening know a little about you, please? Sure. My name is Letitia, as you said, and I am originally from Bermuda. I have overcome quite a bit in my early teens through my 20s and it's changed my life and I just want to share my story of hope and inspiration and hope that I can help someone else change theirs. And I really appreciate you coming on to speak with me and to share because that's what Conversations with Sarah is all about, sharing that hope and inspiration and helping other people heal and move forward. Um, So where do you feel comfortable starting? I'm going to start at the beginning. So about seven, I was told that I was, my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. And that was a defining moment for me. Yeah, It really made me question myself, my worth, my reason for being because I had destroyed the most significant relationship in my life. Both parents remarried and both of my parents' spouses made their dislike known for me, which then furthered that narrative that I really wasn't worth much, right? As I grew up, I think I spent a lot of time looking for attention and love and validation from others. And by the time I was 14, I met a man that was twice my age. He was 28. And to me, he was my knight in shining armor. I'm a big big Disney fan. So my Prince Charming, right? That relationship as it developed into was extremely abusive. And as I said, I'm from Bermuda, so a very small community, very small environment. People know more about your business than you do. Mm. And my mom found out about my relationship with him very early on. She told me that she had done a background check and that I need to be very careful of this man because every relationship he had had ended in restraining order. But because of my relationship with my mother feeling emotionally neglected by her, Mm -hmm. I didn't pay any mind. Like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, completely understandable. Why would you? Yes. The first time he put his hands on me, I was 15 and he choked me um, because he believed that someone was showing me attention in school. Mm. And I knew that that's not what a relationship would look like, should look like. Yeah. So I broke up with him and I left. And after I, I broke up with him, my relationship with my parents deterior- deteriorated very quickly. And I had gotten into an argument with my mother's husband one day. And I made a comment about, I should just kill myself. Mm-hmm. And this grown man mocked me made a joke of it called everyone into the kitchen and was like oh she's gonna kill herself let's watch her so I attempted suicide that night and I remember my mom taking me to the hospital 
And she was very angry with me. And she was like, why would you kill yourself? Like, why would you do that? And in my mind, I'm thinking, why did you sit there and watch me do it? Yeah. If you could, like, this is an argument that neither one of us are going to win, but it created a lot of resentment for me. Shortly after that, I went to live with my father for a short period of time. And after a couple of weeks, he told me that his wife didn't want to raise another child. So I had to go back to my mother. So I'm really going through turmoil, emotional turmoil, and neither one of my parents offered me the support that I needed, which made me angrier. And Mm. a couple of months later, I got into a physical fight with my mother. And I put my hands on her. And shortly after that, I was kicked out of her house and told that if I returned, the police would be involved. Mm. So I was essentially homeless at 17 and I had nowhere to go. So I called this man that had already showed violence towards me. Mm. He choked me, but I had no other option. If particularly in my community, I put my hands on my mama. There is no validation to anybody else. Like I can't, I can't, you know, talk my way out of that. As a child, you're always wrong, right? So I was on my own and I, I moved in with this man that had choked me. The psychological abuse that I endured after that point was severe. He reminded me almost on a daily basis that nobody in my life loved me but him. Mm. And, you know, you're being fed that. And it's kind of what your narrative is anyway, based on the relationship that you have with your parents. I began to believe that. I married him when I was 19. And when I married him, the physical abuse ramped up a lot. Like in between that time, there was a punch or a slap. And I'm saying it as if it's excusable, but it's not. But that punch and that slap that I endured before my marriage, I would have taken every day of the week compared to the abuse that I endured after I was married. And what's interesting was during that time I was working in law enforcement. And a lot of people would say to me, well, why, like, if I now retelling the story, why didn't you use the resources that you had at hand to help you get out of this situation? But I was ashamed that I was in a situation married to someone who thought it was okay to torture me, who thought it was okay to keep me up at night, who thought it was okay to threaten me with death on a regular basis. And because I was working alongside the police, I saw how human they were. Yeah, I think I had a picture of law enforcement before working in it that they actually cared. Mm. And it, and it never is as, yeah and it never is as easy as just what, what the situation that you're describing it's it isn't as easy as well I'm just gonna get up and leave there's so much going on for anybody in that situation but as you've described it you felt you had nowhere to go and no one that cared to help you yes that is pretty much how it sums up 
And, you know, I really didn't want to, because I was filled with so much shame. Mm. I really didn't want anyone else to know exactly what was going on. There were people that knew bits and pieces of what was going on in my relationship, but nobody ever knew the full picture. When I was 21-ish, and I say ish because I don't remember the year and I don't, yeah. you know, um, I came home one night and this night was very significant. A friend called me because I had spent years painting a pretty picture. You know, you don't want people in your business. So yeah, I'm living, the, I'm living the life of Riley. Mm-hmm. And my friend called me because a lot of my friends used to come to me for advice. And this particular night, she was saying, you know, I'm in an abusive relationship. I haven't told anybody. I really don't know what to do. And I was giving her all the advice that I could give. Girl, get out. You deserve so much better than that. Yeah, like, as you do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this particular night, I was reading a book called Until Today by Yan Lovenzen. And I... in. In an effort to encourage her, I picked up the book and I started reading. And I said to her, you know, this is like significant. The passage that I read to her was talking about how people are in your life for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. And oftentimes, the reason why our interpersonal relationships don't work is because that person was only in our lives for a reason and we're trying to keep them there for an extended period of time. And I remember reading that feeling like a sinner in church, Mm. like a light bulb went off that day. Like this is exactly why this relationship isn't working. I'm not meant to be here. Yeah. That night. And I said, it's significant because that night my husband came home extremely drunk he had found some text messages in my cell phone from another man. And after years of abuse, at this point, I had endured it for at least six. Um, You kind of knew when things are going to be a quick fight or really bad. Mm. And that night I knew just by the way he was looking at me, the way he was talking to me, this was going to be a bad night. And I remember running to my landline and calling my mother and saying, listen, I need you to come get me right now. He pulled the landline out of the wall and essentially told me that the only way that I was leaving that night was in a body bag. He had picked up a knife and he escorted me to our bedroom where he then barricaded us in the bedroom. And I always describe this as an outer body experience because it was almost like I was watching myself in a movie. Everything that was happening seemed so unreal to me that I didn't actually process that it was happening. And I remember seeing the knife come towards me, but I never processed pain. I, I actually didn't realize that he had stabbed me. We were living with someone at that time and he burst into the room shortly after I had been stabbed and it allowed me to get out. 
I ran into the living room and I sat on the sofa where my husband then straddled me and continued to try to stab me. And luckily enough, because of his intoxication, he missed. Mm. I think if he would have hit me while I was on the couch, I probably would have died that night. His friend pulled him off of me and pushed me out of the house. And I was standing there in the middle of the night with no clothes on, barely any clothes on, like not even like processing what's happening when I realized, oh my gosh, like my body is hot. Mm. And that was when I realized that I was bleeding. I processed the heat from my blood, but never ever pain. Yeah. Luckily, my mom actually listened to me that night and she came to get me. And when he realized that someone was outside, he then began to throw my clothes and my belonging out the window. So we stuffed everything in the car and my mom wanted me to go to the hospital, but that was an absolute no for me. Like I'm not going to the hospital right now. I do not want the police involved. So I go back to my mother's house. This is the house keep in mind that I'm not supposed to be in and I remember maybe less less than two hours later she asked me well what are you gonna do because you can't stay here wow what you mean I can't I just got stabbed but what do you mean I cannot stay here she goes well you're gonna have to figure out something maybe call around to see who can help you So I end up calling a women's resource center who then instructed me to go to the police station. No questions will be asked. Just tell them that I'm there to go to the resource center. And I was taken, my mother took me to the police station and I was then escorted to a homeless shelter where I stayed for two months while I got myself back on track. I got a restraining order, I filed for divorce, and I think I naively thought that life would just magically change, right? Yeah, yeah. I spent the next 10 years self-sabotaging because I was running away from the emotional trauma that I had endured in that relationship so that self-sabotage looked like for me drinking almost 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. and not wine or you know baileys and milk I was drinking bottles of scotch that I actually didn't like the taste of and I absolutely hated being drunk but that was my only out from the noise that was going on in my head Had you been offered any kind of support at this stage? I had done bits and pieces of therapy over that period of time. Mm. I always felt judged. So the experience for me wasn't pleasant. Right. Um, So I was just trying to figure it all out and after several years of constant drinking and promiscuity (laughs) because a lot went on in those years Mm. I decided you know what it's time to 
change things around. So I moved to Atlanta and I went to university. And things for the most part were going well. And then I met this guy. And there's something about Americans that I can say that I absolutely trust. Like you literally hear about people having families in different states. Yeah. And I never went to the States with a desire to date because I come from a very small community. If I meet somebody, I can call someone right now and say, hey, do you know John from so-and-so? And I yeah, can get, get all the details. Life story, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it couldn't happen in the States. So I meet this guy. I fall head over heels with him. And I find out very early on that he is a cocaine addict. I was naive about drug use. Although I worked in law enforcement, my experience around anyone using anything was someone smoking a spliff of weed. Mm. And that's not something I even double blink at because that was Mm. part of my culture, right? Yeah. So I'm in, in this environment with this guy who's literally snorting every bit of money that he had up his nose. And because I didn't have any experience with someone using, I got sucked into his manipulation. Mm-hmm. And he eventually sucked me dry of everything that I had. I went back to Bermuda to work for a short period of time and I was sending money back because we were living together. So I was still paying the rent and all of the bills. And I decided I'm going to surprise him and fly back on my birthday after being with this man for three years. I walk into the apartment that I was paying the bills for to meet his wife. Not the reunion you were expecting. No, not at all. And that actually really broke me because I felt like I was a person that was aware of what was going on. How did I not know this man had a wife? And when I look back, there was no way I could have known. We lived together for three years. I was around his family. I was around his children. There was nothing that indicated to me that I was the side chick. Yeah. Nothing. So after that, and I promise it's coming to an end. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's, please it just, carry on. <laughs> it just seems like a long story. But after that, I moved back to Bermuda and I, I got into commercial insurance. I was feeling really amazing about life. I was focused on me for the yeah. first time, really, in years. I, I, made a conscious effort to focus on my personal development and growth. I was reading self-help books. I was doing self-help workbooks. Like I was feeling good about myself. I was journaling everything. And then I met this guy. And I must say it was shortly after being introduced to manifesting. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends about if you want a good guy, you have to manifest him. Write down all of the things he must have, all of the things he can have. And I did that. I wrote down like 45 things about this next man that I'm going to date. 
and I meet this guy who is everything but one now I'm five mm. ten, so I wanted someone that was like six eight like you know towering over me and I have to say he was not that but everything else about this man and what he was bringing to the table was exactly what I wanted the fast share of the relationship was absolute bliss I mm. felt like I was in a fairy tale my own Disney movie but then one of his family members died and he had mentioned to me that he had previously previously used crack when his family member died I became hyper vigilant Mm. because I knew that that would be something that would trigger someone to use and because of the three years that I had just been through um it was no way that I was doing that again but I noticed very quickly changes in his behavior. And I remember asking him, like, listen, like, are you using? Because if you are, we can get you help. Mm-hmm. But what I'm not going to do is go through another three years of what I just went through. And of course, he lied. But because of my experience, I actually was prepared to get him help. And I did that in the process of trying to get him help. I met a life coach who was also a drug and alcohol counselor. And my interaction with her was odd because I'm seeking help from my boyfriend. And she literally said to me, listen, I can see that you are broken Mm. and I want to help you. And I was like, girl, I'm not the one that needs help. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong person. But I took her card. I took her card. Several months later, my boyfriend was still using and he was stealing from his job. He was a chef and he was stealing very expensive cuts of meat to fund his drug problem. And I was called to his job to pick up a package, which I didn't think anything of because he was also catering on the side. Hmm. So I just thought, okay, let me just go get this. He's got a catering gig to do. When I went to pick up this package, I was met by security. He then had a lot of questions to ask. And I was like, listen, I don't know what's going on. Hmm. He was arrested for stealing from his job and he lost his job. And I thought, okay, they have the man. They called him red-handed. I didn't think anything would happen to me. Several weeks later, while I'm at my job, I got a call from reception telling me that the police want to see me. Where they came to my job and arrested me for receiving stolen property. I get to the police station and I call my mother and I was like, listen, you need to get me a lawyer. Like, I'm not about this life. I am not Mm. a lawbreaker, okay? Like, I like my freedom. I really, really do. (laughs) And instead of her calling a lawyer, my mother came down to the police station. And she said to me, why do you love everyone else more than you love yourself? Mm. That was like, a Mike Tyson body blow to me. Like it literally took my breath away because it was the truth. 
Here yeah. I was in jail because of someone else. And for the last 10 years or so, that was literally my life. Like I'm going through absolute how, not because of me, mm. yeah. <laughs> because of somebody else. And I had to go back to my cell after that and sit there with that. But that was probably the best thing that she could have said to me in that moment, because it made me realize that, okay, you, the reason why you're in jail right now is not because of you. Mm-hmm. However, your decisions are the reason why you're behind bars right now. And if I don't change something, this is going to be my life. Mm-hmm. I was never charged with anything. It was literally a fishing expedition, hoping that I would, you know, crack under pressure <laughs> and tell them things you hadn't done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was in charge. I was released. But the first thing I did when I was released was call that life coach. Mm. And I started working with her and I worked with her for five months. What I realized as a result of that relationship, that coaching relationship was that the reason why I have been suffering and self-sabotaging for so long is because I had committed to being a survivor. Yeah. And for some, that's an amazing thing. I survived something amazing. But that coaching relationship helped me to see that survival isn't the final destination. Yeah. Right? Because we get caught up into being a victim. We get sucked into that narrative that, something is wrong with us which is why we have such a crappy life yeah and that's not the case the coaching relationship empowered me it allowed me to see that being a victim was actually giving away my power Mm -hmm. and that changed my life like it absolutely changed my life it was I was able to change my narrative I was able to look at life a little bit differently and I was able to take control yeah. And in doing so, I made a decision to move to the UK, where I've now been for nine years. And the guy that I went to jail for, <laughs> he went into rehab almost immediately after I was arrested. He has now been clean for nine years. We have a beautiful family together. We have two gorgeous girls, and life is different, mm. you know, because. I've been able to change my narrative and really work on me. And in the last two years, I made a decision that I want to help other people do that. I spent, I committed to such a dark narrative for a very, very long time. And that is what kept me in that cycle of self-sabotage and pain. And being able to free myself from that cycle literally changed my life. And I just mm-hmm. want to be able to do that for others now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you've talked about the word survivor and surviving and how that isn't how you see yourself. What word would you use to describe to describe where you're at? 
Ohio. I'm thriving, honey. I'm thriving. And that really, that's what it's about, isn't it? Right. And that's why I don't like the word survivor, right? I don't like it. I, we end up there because of our experiences and don't get me wrong. Let's celebrate the fact that we can survive hardship, Mm. but that's not what life's about. Life is about thriving. Mm. And I think it is our mission, no matter what we've been through to get to a place where we can turn our story around, turn our mess into a message, turn our test into a testimony so that we can stop just surviving life and start thriving and making the most of it. Yeah. I mean, with your story, you clearly had a capacity to love very deeply and, and wholly of yourself. But as you said, you weren't giving that to yourself. So what, through your process, do you feel, or is there more than one pivotal moment of the coaching work that you did that, that helped you sort of recognize this love I give to everyone else is okay to give to myself? When I look back at it, if I'm honest, I don't think what I was given was love. Okay. I think what I was giving was anything so that I could feel loved. Okay. I made decisions that were against everything that I believe just to feel accepted and loved by someone else. Mm. But when I look back at my actions, that's not love because it was too sacrificial. And I don't believe love is sacrificial like that. Yeah. I mean, it's that kind of the codependency stuff right. in there, but, but, but choosing, choosing love- someone else over your own yeah. basic needs. But, but in there, there is that, that heartfelt stuff as well. It, it becomes very enmeshed, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not a healthy love. Let's put it that way. It's not something that I would want to experience today. Yeah. But what was also pivotal for me in my coaching is I spent a long time from the age of seven, not actually liking myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't like myself, which is why I did a lot of the things that I did. I had to learn through the process of coaching and many years after to accept me so there was a process of liking knowing trusting and accepting Mm -hmm. that was important for me to get to the place that I was in because there was so much self-loathing through that process and a lot of it had to do with the decisions that I made the more bad decisions that I made the worse I didn't like myself right so yeah it was learning to accept me. Yeah, I think that's it. Isn't it? The more you step away from your own voice, your own truth, your own knowing, it is you give a, you give away who you are. So it's it's even harder. Even if you come from a strong space of loving who you are, the more you deny those things that are important to you, the harder it is to like yourself and the choices that you're making. Absolutely. What advice would you give to? people that are listening that parts of your story are resonating with there is nothing about our journey and I say our because I'm inclusive there is nothing about our journey that we cannot use 
later on. Mm. There is nothing that is lost along the way. And if we can truly learn to embrace that, I think that's where the healing can begin. Mm -hmm. Learning to look for the lesson in everything that we experience is truly transformational. And it gives us an opportunity to grow and to possibly make an impact. Mm. One of my favorite quotes, and I, it's mine, and I say it all the time to my clients, is to walk as if every step you're taking is about to make an avalanche because we are here to change the world. And I truly believe that. So I, anyone that's listening, if you're really going through a hard time, just remember that it has a meaning, it has a reason, and it has an, it gives you an opportunity to really change something. Even if it's just in yourself, you can change yourself, you can change the world. And I think that's what it's about. Mm. And and of course now you you coach other people. So what um I mean there's a lot that you've said that's brought you into coaching, but is there anything specific that kind of that light bulb went off where it's like, this is what I need to do? As a mother, I realized how much I impact my children. I am their entire world for an extended period of time. And I think in that moment, I realized, wait a minute. If we can heal women, we could change the entire world. Mm -hmm. And that is my mission, to do my part, to heal others so that they can heal others. Mm -hmm. And so who, who do you work with? Predominantly Black women. Um, and the reason for that is I am passionate about seeing the narratives in my community change. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people won't understand the struggles of a Black woman, but mm-hmm. in 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 society's eyes we are at the bottom of the totem pool and if I can do anything to shift the way that we think about ourselves I think it's important Mm. how do people connect in with you if if they're listening to you and they feel like yeah you're the other person I need to be working with how do they (laughs) connect in with you um, my website is blackrosecoaching.com. Black Rose is spelled B-L-A-Q-U-E-R-O-S-E. And you can reach out to me. There is ways to get in contact with me via my website. And I do have a wealth of information there to help women move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone's sort of listening and I think, yeah, I you're it resonates for me. I want to reach out with you. Is there anything you kind of think? anything you want to say to them about like taking that first step because it's so difficult isn't it when you are wrecking or I think it's really difficult when you're recognizing that you want support you might not necessarily kind of know what that support is or, or even what it is that you need what would you kind of say to them to, to help take that first step don't second guess your 
desire to improve. A lot of times we talk ourselves other things. Give give yourself an opportunity to grow and be open to any opportunity that comes with it. And Mm if I'm someone that you feel like you can connect with, reach out to me. I'm not going to turn you away, girl. We can have a conversation because this is about helping us all move forward. Yeah, yeah. And, and where would you say life is for you now? Because you've 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 shared your experience of where you've been, the journey that you've been on, the processes that you've you've the things that you've experienced that have brought you to where you are now. How is life now? I am the happiest. No, let me put this. I am happy. And the happiness that I experience is the most genuine that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Mm. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything in this moment. Mm. And what would you say is the key to that? Full acceptance of myself. And I'll say this. I describe myself as a self-contained hurricane. I'm a big personality. I got a lot going on. And for the most part, That has been a trigger for most people around me. People are intimidated by what I bring to the table, which Mm -hmm. then had me second guessing myself. Mm -hmm. I'm earning the fact that I'm here to tear up the world in some way or another. And that acceptance is the most freeing thing that I've ever experienced. And so I straight up don't care anymore and not in a bad way but I'm living life on my terms. Yeah. And isn't, for me, that's what it's all about. It is that it's not that you don't care for, for me, it's not that I don't care in a way that I want to cause harm to other people, but in that um, living my truth and living in, in what it is to be me is so much more important now than fitting into the boxes that other people want me to be in. Um, And I think it's really interesting because I resonate with that intimidation (laughs) phrase. And, And I love the thought that it's not that I'm intimidating it's that other people are intimidated by me and that is a them problem not a me problem but when we I don't know about you but when we feel in that space and don't feel so secure in who we are um that can be silencing it can be um I mean I just have the sense of that it's it's squishy it just restrictive right that's the word I want I'm just sat with feeling it is it's restrictive and disempowering and um steals our voice absolutely so thank you for I mean it feels very much like we're at the end so thank you for coming on today and sharing your voice and sharing your story and owning your power and putting it out there for other people to hear to have hope and to be inspired by um the way in which you've been able to change your life and not survive but thrive thank you for having me thank you is there anything that you want to leave people with today give yourself a chance and go for what makes your heart sing Thank you. Thank you so much for um, coming on and sharing with me. Thank you. You're welcome.
thank you and for those that have listened i hope that you have enjoyed today's episode uh, to find out more about me and my guest give us feedback suggestions visit srtt.co.uk i'll be back next wednesday with a new guest until then stay curious and be kind to yourself <laughs>